Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. Hi guys and welcome back to Millennial Mind. Today I'm so excited to introduce you to my next guest. He's an actor, a model and recently the author of the series Consider This. So without further ado, I'm so excited to introduce Sid Maya. So hi Sid. Hi, Shivani. It was actually, for everyone listening, it was really hard to do that introduction because he was laughing and doing an Irish accent, a Scottish accent, <laughs> um, anything to kind of make me laugh before this. So um, I'm glad I kept a straight face during that. So thanks so much for being here and thanks for coming here to talk about the Indian expectation on mental health. So before we start, I think let's just give everyone an introduction as to who you are and a little bit about you. Uh, okay, well, hi everyone listening or watching this. I'm Sid. Um, as Shivani said, that I'm an actor. I'm based in Los Angeles, but in the last year or so, I've started doing a lot of work on mental health, a lot of advocacy around it, and really just trying to shine as much of a light on it as possible um, through using my own experiences. Um, as Shivani said, I've got a series called Consider This, which I launched just before the coronavirus lockdown in March. And um, in those episodes, I kind of talk about the mental issues that I've dealt with in my life, um, certain things that I've done to deal with them, and you know, really just to offer any advice to people out there going through similar things. Um, so yeah that's kind of what i've been up to i think like the rest of the world this year has been a little bit hectic to say the least and um that's kind of what's been keeping me busy during um during the pandemic i actually love your series on consider this i think each episode shows a different part of your life um and they're also just so endearing and so heartwarming when you watch them so if you guys haven't watched them i really recommend that you do but what i want to talk to you about today is mental health especially within the indian community and how we can start to change the expectation that we have around it so i guess the first question i want to ask you is why do you think there's such a stigma around mental health because we rarely used to talk about it um, and in the last I would say 10 years it's really come up that people are feeling more comfortable to talk about it to share their experiences 
But I still think there is still a massive stigma attached, especially for men. And I just want to ask your opinion as to why you think that is. I think, you know, yes, you're right. I think there's definitely a big stigma around mental health, um, which, of course, is getting better. Yeah. Um, as you said, people are now willing to talk more about it and to be more open about it. But I think like with anything, when it comes to change, it takes time. Yeah. You know, things that are so deeply rooted, beliefs, um, anything like that, don't just turn overnight. You know, you, you, there needs to be a conscious discussion around it there needs to be conscious advocacy around it there needs to be a you know a real shift in consciousness towards mm -hmm. how we view a subject for there to be meaningful change so i think we're on that path now um i think you know people willing to share about it talk more about it means that we're definitely on that path but there's certainly a, still a very long way to go because that stigma still does exist um Coming to the other point in your question, I think, you know, it's just something that I don't think previous generations really, I think it just comes down to a conditioning um, standpoint in that the previous generations weren't conditioned to share, really. And it wasn't something that you were seen to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, for me, even when I was in boarding school in the late 90s, mid 2000s, it, you, you wouldn't talk about this sort of stuff. You know, when, you, when okay. if someone would say mental health, you automatically assume that meant like a mental asylum or something like that, right? The guys coming with the big white coats. Yeah, um, so it's only, I, I think because, you know, there's been so many negative associations with the word mental health. That's why people have been afraid to speak about it just because of what it triggers. That's so true. And I also think people don't usually treat mental health as they do physical health, which is bizarre because your brain is part of your body and it's the most complex part of your body. And yet we are so scared to understand it, work on it and to treat it. And I think how in physical health, is we get a cut on our hand or, you know, something happens to us, we'll rush to A&E. But to actually speak up and say, oh, actually, I'm feeling really down, I'm feeling really depressed, I'm feeling really anxious, there is a massive taboo about it. And I think, especially for men, like you talk about this in one of your podcasts, at boarding school, you were told to not cry and to man up. And I think that causes a massive effect on people when they're growing up, you know. How has it affected you in that way? 100%. I think that, you know, you hit the nail on the head with that. You know, if you, if you have a toothache, you go to the dentist, you, you feel sick, you go to the doctor. So why should it be any different for the mind? I think a lot of it is because most of us have a hard time seeing the brain as a part of the body. They yeah. just see it as us, if you like. Um, so they don't actually see it as something that needs help or needs to be fixed. Like you break your arm, you know that your arm's broken, so you go and so fix true. it. Whereas people, if they have something going on up here, they believe that's them. Yeah. As opposed to seeing that, no, the brain, the mind is another entity in your body, just like your arm that can go through breakages or pain or all those sorts of things, and you need to look after it as well. Mm -hmm. um, coming to the point about boarding school, yeah, it, it did affect me. I mean, you know, 
if you're in a school where it's predominantly boys, you're living with each other, you automatically do put a guard up. For sure. Because as they say, you know, boys don't cry, which is nonsense. Um, boys are conditioned not to cry. Exactly. Um, but I think you just become a product of your environment. I would say though, and I think this is great, that definitely today, speaking to people who are still associated with my old school, um, speaking to teachers there, there's a big emphasis being put on this sort of stuff now because they've realized that, you know, there's no point, these kids, there's no point making them, getting them straight A's, making them the best athletes in the world, all this sort of stuff. All this stuff actually means nothing if we're not looking after their mental well-being. So, so fortunately, I think these kids are today being taught to express themselves more, to feel more, and basically do all the things that I wish we were taught to do at that age. For sure. And I think crying is just an emotion. It's, it's a gender-neutral emotion, and we've attached it to women. And so when we see men cry, I think generally a lot of people feel uncomfortable, and it's actually a bigger deal. If a, if a girl's crying, I don't think anybody really cares. It's seen as like girls cry all the time but when men cry or boys cry people are almost shocked or they do feel really uncomfortable and I think that's something we need to start to change but I guess my question is why is it important to like you've just said you know they're they're teaching all these things in schools schools now and there's a lot more awareness around it why is it so important that we bring awareness to this topic at such a young age I do want to just hit on one thing you said just now which is if a girl cries, it's almost just fobbed off. And mm -hmm. these people are like, oh, well, girls are emotional, girls cry. Yeah. That can also be just as dangerous because if there is a girl going through something, it's very easy for people then to just fob it off and to just, you know, brush it under the rug being like, oh, she's a girl, she's automatically emotional, we're not gonna pay Definitely. attention to her. And I think that's very, yeah. that's just as dangerous um, as, you know, telling boys not to cry. Yeah. Is to make any sort of judgment in this. Oh, she's a girl, so she cries. Oh, well, he's a boy, he doesn't cry. You can't judge based on sex or anything like that. I mean, because then we, we will end up in a situation where people bury their feelings or those who actually need the emotion are being labeled as, oh, she's just emotional, she's a drama queen. I mean, like, yeah. what? <laughs> Seriously? So we've got to be careful about, about that as well. But, you know, as you said, crying is an emotion. Mm -hmm. why do people cry on their wedding day it's not because they're sad that they're <laughs> about to get married it's because they're happy right crying can come out because you're sad it can come out when you're happy yeah so true so to just judge it and to label it is also equally i think something that we need to stop doing that's so true um which comes to the point that you said, why should this stuff be taught at a young age? Purely for this reason. That you want to express yourself, express yourself. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. And you did a whole video about this, and I love this video. This is probably my favorite one. And consider this, about being yourself and having the ability to express who you are and knowing who you are. And I think that comes from a self, like being self-aware and I think it's so important to be self-aware, just like you said, to really understand who you are and at the core of who you are so you can live your life purposely. But I guess in terms of finding your, when you started struggling with mental health, when did that start to happen? And how did you start to feel and understand that you weren't living to who you expected to be or living to your true self? 
I think, I mean, it, it, I talk about this in the video, it hit me really in 2016. Um, but then now if I look back on it, I was probably going through depression years before that. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things with depression is that you can actually be depressed without knowing it. And I think now looking back on it, that's definitely what was happening with me. But it, it all came to a head at the end of drama school in 2016. I just played this role where I was a heroin addict. And, you know, to go deep into that, I, I had a lot of stuff going on personally. So it was like, great, I can use all this personal pain I'm going through in this role, right? You know, because this is what this character is meant to be, which is fine. But then of course, when the filming stops and the film shot, well, now the character, the outlet, if you like, is no longer there, but the pain is. And it was then it just all kind of overwhelmed me. And that's when it, that, when it really hit me. And I was like, you know, I think that, I think the realization was if I look at everything going on in life and compare that to how I'm feeling, there's definitely a discrepancy here, which made me feel, okay, why is that discrepancy happening? Something must be going on below the surface that I'm not aware of. And that's where I decided to go and take a look. And I guess in taking that step to seek help, you know, that's not something people typically do. Um, I think a lot of people shy away from it. So how did you make that decision to say, okay, this is what I need to do. I need to seek help. I have to sort this out. Cause I think it's easy to shy away from it and think things will just get better. You know, I'm just feeling sad. I'm just having a bad day. How did you realize there was something really deeply wrong? I think that, you know, it was, it was never a case of that I was scared because I thought I was depressed or anything where I was like, no, I'm not going to go seek help. I'm not going to seek help. I'm not going to yeah. seek help. I actually was quite open to it. I was, um, you know, something happened. I was at a friend's wedding and all my friends were there. Everyone, it was just an amazing time, except in the inside, I was feeling crushed through the whole thing. And I was like, this is not like, why am I feeling like this here? I need to go and get this checked out. Um, so it wasn't, for me, it was never like I was afraid to go and get it checked out. And actually for me, this is one of the things I didn't even fob it off either. I was actually like, something's not right. I should, you know, when I had my appendix taken out I, for about three weeks, for about three weeks, I was like, oh, no, 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 I've just pulled a muscle. And eventually my girlfriend at the time was like, go to the doctor. I said, but there's nothing wrong. I've pulled a muscle. And then I went there and they're like, this needs to come out like tomorrow. So oh my gosh. that wasn't the case with the mental health stuff at all. With this, yeah. I was like, I need to go get this checked out. And I did. I had a similar experience. I feel that when I was in a really bad place, I was almost just like, I need to, to have help. Like, I'm excited to get help. I feel like someone will fix me is the way I was thinking about it. Because when you're feeling so upset and you're feeling so low, and I think this is something to avoid also, is you shouldn't wait to have a heart attack to go to the hospital. You should be checking your heart. You should be making sure it's okay. You should be making sure it's in good health. And I think with me, what happened was I was in such a bad place for my mental health that that was the only option left was like, okay, I need to do something about it now. And I think it's so important to understand the triggers before that to ensure you don't get to a place of feeling so low before you speak to somebody, because sometimes it can be too late. And sometimes at that point, you're already so far gone in that process that it takes a lot longer to heal. And so, you know, I think it's so important that you went at a point where you're just like, okay, I know something's wrong. I need to go and speak to somebody and you're willing to take that help. Right. But coming from an Indian family, did you tell your parents you were going to seek help and, I guess, 
being in an Indian family and surrounded by an Indian community, how did you deal with that stigma? No, so again, you always ask such good questions that there's always two answers to this. The first is to your point, figuring out you need the help. That's why this needs to be taught to people at a much younger age. Yeah. Now, people don't know they need help because they actually don't know, right? But if you're teaching kids at a younger age to be in tune with themselves and to figure this stuff out and to see this stuff, then obviously when things uh, surface, they're much more equipped to deal with it and to, or at least not deal with it but at least to know that they need to go and speak to someone about it mm-hmm. um coming to me i just did it i i've actually had quite a liberal family like you know my parents my mom's muslim my dad's hindu so that right there and then is something which shows that they're quite open sort of people yeah. i just i just went and did it and i told my mom i'd gone to this therapist she of course I guess more than anything was concerned or maybe felt a bit sad because she couldn't understand it. Again, she comes from a generation where people who go to therapy are people who have something, you know, really, 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 you know, wrong in the sense that they don't, they don't see like, you know, they don't get that we, people do these things. Mm -hmm. She comes from a different, different age. Um, But they were, they were fine. Like I actually didn't even tell my mom that I took antidepressants until last year, I forgot. It's not that I didn't tell her, I just didn't do it. And then last year on World Mental Health Day, I put up a picture of the box of the antidepressants to share with um, sort of my little group of followers that I was doing these things, you know, I took antidepressants and she happened to see the picture. And then I was like, oh, okay, I forgot. I never told you about this. So here you go. And I think for a lot of people, though, the reason why they perhaps don't seek help or they don't talk about it is they're afraid of what other people are going to say and what other people are going to think. So we, there's a lot of negative associations with mental health, like you just said. You know, people will say that you've gone a bit crazy or, you know, you're not right. And especially, I think, when we're younger. And I, when I say younger, I mean 20 to 30. I think people have this really massive negative image of mental health so I uploaded a post I think it was a year ago sharing how that when I went traveling and I had three months off work and I traveled around the world I was modeling full-time and people would message me saying wow your life looks amazing you must be so happy everything's going so well for you and I was really deeply unhappy I was really really unhappy and I put up a post saying you know not everything you see on Instagram is real you shouldn't believe everything you see kind of opening up kind of a heart to heart post and being quite vulnerable. And a couple of months ago, one of my friends said, Oh, this guy, by the way, said that you're a bit weird. And that you know, you're like not right in the head because you uploaded that post and like, you're actually like, I can't remember the word, but it wasn't damaged goods, but something like that. And actually there's this fear of opening up and being vulnerable, especially when you're in like a dating age to tell people, okay, I've suffered from mental health. I've seen a therapist. I go to therapy regularly. How can we start to change that? Well, I think there's a couple of things here, right? First of all, just to realize you don't have to share everything with anyone as well, first off the bat, okay? Like, if you have some medical ailment, mm-hmm. you don't always go and broadcast that with everyone. So For you sure. don't have to do it. You, this is, everyone has to realize that what they, the only person that people are responsible for is themselves. That's it. You've got to be doing this for yourself, whether it's self-work, whether it's self-help, whether it's therapy, whether it's antidepressants, you need to be doing it for you. 
then if you're comfortable and you want to use your experiences to help others and 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 inspire others like you have like i have then do that mm-hmm. but you first need to get your own house in order before doing that for sure but people need to also i think keep in mind that they're under no obligations to share things yeah I they think- should be able to keep things to themselves and work on themselves without having the pressures of having to explain themselves to people. Yeah, I think that's so true. But also, to counteract that point, if you're living with... So within an Indian culture, I think it's a massive taboo still to go to therapy. I think people definitely find it a bit strange. I mean, my parents, to my surprise, though, were quite fine when I said I went to therapy. It was more like, I've gone to therapy. This is what's happening. These are the things I'm talking about. And I, I actually had such a great time. I'd be so excited to share the things I was learning. So I think they, they weren't worried. They were almost like, okay, this is good. You're talking about all these concepts. And I was doing a lot of self-work at the same time. So I was like, I've read about this. And I talked to my therapist about that. And it was a very positive conversation. However, I have had friends who have told their parents they're going to therapy and they're saying it's a waste of money. What's wrong with you? You have us to talk to. You know, this is quite common, I think, within within Indian families. And I guess my question is, how do we start to bring these conversations? How do we start to normalize these conversations? So how we said earlier, if you've got a toothache, you go to the dentist. If you're not feeling well, you go to the doctor. And there's no one stopping you from doing that. In fact, people go to the doctor way more than they should. How do we start to normalize the fact that going to therapy is something we need to do to, if we're struggling with our mental health? I think it just comes down to education, right? I think first, the first all is to realize and accept that the elder generation, our parents' generation, are a different generation and had a different upbringing where certain things that we talk about today, it's, it's not that they don't care. Yeah. It's just that they're not equipped to handle the conversation. They don't know how to handle the conversation because they've never had to do it. So really, it's, it's basically about re-educating. Definitely. And that's what it is. And I know it. I've got very frustrated with people who couldn't see my point of view. And I'm like, but why can't you see it? But then I have to remind myself, I'm like, well, it's not their fault. This just wasn't something that they had to worry about growing up yeah right? and it's the same thing like you know even me this is i'm 33 i'm not old but i didn't have to grow up in an age at boarding school where people could cyber bully each other yeah you know because instagram and twitter and all this stuff didn't exist so it's not like i wouldn't know what to do with it it's just that i might not be as well equipped to right look i get my i i can do this because I have to deal with that all today with social media. But if I, if you're someone that's not had to deal with this stuff, mm-hmm. I think we can't just expect people to know things. Yeah, of course you can't know what you can't know. And so I think it's then more about, okay, well, are you willing to have the conversation with me? Then in that case, mom or dad or aunt or uncle or whatever it might be, let me tell you why I'm going. Let me try and educate you. Yeah. And I talk about this in one of my other conversations, in my other, one of my other podcasts, when we talk about confrontation and why I think it's so important to be confrontational in these circumstances and have those conversations up front, because often it is just a miscommunication, a misunderstanding. And like you said, the previous generation haven't had to face anything that we've had to go through and we haven't had to face the things they've had to go through. 
and a comparison of each generation and what my life has been this hard, your life is nowhere near as hard. I think a lot of that's a narrative for a lot of people isn't helpful at all. But something that is helpful is educating our parents, our friends and our families. Because I think there's a lot of people within our generation at the moment who still have a stigma around mental health. And they still have this viewpoint that you shouldn't go to see a therapist as regularly as we see a doctor. Now, we spoke about this a couple of days ago, whenever we did, about, you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. And you gave me this response about, you know, your, you should use your brain as a sense. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, so um, I read something great online. Um, I'll have to try and find the link. I don't know what we were talking, what it was. Someone had made a comment about how you should see the mind as a sense. Mm -hmm. um, and then I didn't know this, but I've been researching it. I want to read it. Apparently, it's, it's a pillar of um, Buddhism. Okay. They see the mind as the sixth sense. I didn't know this, but I, again, like, I, I don't want to talk out of turn here, so I'm not going to say that I know too much about this. But from what I've read and what kind of made sense to me was that, you know, if you want to say your, 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 your eyes see, right? Mm -hmm. Can't choose what they see, right? Like right now, I can see my iPad. I can see the books behind my iPad. Mm -hmm. I can see you. I can see the books behind you. I can see your door. I can't not see that. Yeah. But I have a choice. What do I want to focus on? Do I want to focus on that plant in the gold pot behind you? Do I want to focus on your door? Do I want to focus on you? Right? That's the choice. You take the same thing with hearing. Right now, I can hear you. I can hear the humming of my air conditioner. I can hear my dog snoring. I can hear all these things. But what do I want to focus on? So focus on this conversation. I can do this for all the senses. Mm -hmm. I can taste coffee. I can taste what I had for lunch. I can taste whatever. I can touch, touching a blanket, touching my chair. The point is, is that I believe the senses, the job is to present everything and for you to choose. Now, just because you choose, I choose to focus on you, doesn't mean that everything else around you blanks out. I still can see everything. Mm -hmm. So if you start looking at the mind like that, well, the mind's job, like the, the eyes, their job is to present you visions. The ears are to present you sound. The mind's job is to present you thoughts. You cannot choose what's being presented. What you can choose is what do you want to let go of, and what do you want to focus on? And again, I want to make this a point to all your watchers and listeners. This is not something that's coming with any science behind it or any depth of research. This is just something that I read and I formalized it in my head to make sense for me. This might not make sense for anyone else watching this, but it makes sense to me, which is if you start seeing the mind as another sense, well, then you know that, okay, with all these thoughts that are coming in my head, I actually have a choice just to let them go. And I can choose the ones that I want to give attention to. I love that. I've told like everyone that since we've been speaking about it, because I think it's so powerful. And you know, you hear when people say, you know, you choose your thoughts, like how you choose your clothes every day, you know, but the way you describe that in a sense, just is so articulate and it definitely makes sense to me. So I hope it makes right, sense. But you don't, so you, you don't, you choose your clothes from the clothes that you have gone and bought and yes. put in your wardrobe. Yes. 
you do not choose your thoughts. The thoughts are there. Right, like, right, 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 right. Imagine you go shopping. Yeah. Okay. Let's use a massive department store for the sake of it. Um, I don't know. I haven't been in England. Go to Westfield. Okay, you go to Westfield. You go to Westfield, there's 200 shops there. Mm -hmm. I'm, again, arbitrary numbers. 100 out of those 200 shops sell women's clothes. Well, you haven't chosen what's in the store. Yeah. What you're doing is walking around Westfield and choosing what you want. Mm -hmm. You might pick up a dress from one shop. You might look at it. You might try it on. And then be like, actually, I don't want this and put it back on the rack. Yeah. You might go into another store and buy five items. You then might go to another store and buy no items. So Westfield has presented to you a bunch of options. Shivani has walked around and chosen which out of those options, if any, she wants to take mm -hmm. home. It's the same thing with the mind. Those thoughts are going to be there whether you like it or not. The mind is your Westfield where it's going to present thought after thought after thought after thought. Your job is to choose which thought do I want? Which do I want to let go of? Yeah. Oh, okay. I want to go with this thought. But then two minutes later, actually, it's a waste of time. I'm going to let it go. That's all you're doing is that that's where they say that you are the sort of, you are the, the chooser. Yeah. So like choosing between your thoughts. Choosing between your thoughts and choosing to let them all go. Accepting, and this is the hardest part, I think, for everyone who's on any sort of spiritual journey. This is the hardest thing for me. And again, hence why I think if they teach this at a much younger age, there's less reconditioning that needs to be done, right? So tell me a bit more about that. What do you mean it's so hard? So look, let's you look at it like this, okay? The, the, you have a habit. The longer you've been doing the habit, the harder it is to break. Yeah. Right? Simple. The longer you go through life not doing any spiritual work or anything, well, then you're setting your patterns, right? You're setting your ways. So it takes more work to change that. At 33 years old, or when I started all of this, let's say at 30, I started realizing that I am not my thoughts. Mm -hmm. I can choose the thoughts. But for 30 odd years, I believe that I was the one that was creating the thoughts. I was the one that was choosing the thoughts. And even today, it's a struggle to try and remember that they're not there. If a negative, negative, again, and this is another thing, a thought is only negative because you've labeled it yeah. negative. So, right? if, so let me just make my, the negative thought comes into my head. You, you oh, I shouldn't be thinking that. I shouldn't be thinking that. And you automatically take on personal responsibility for it, right? Why am I thinking that thought? I shouldn't have that thought. That's a bad thought. I'm not a bad person. Yeah. Until you have to remind yourself that, oh, hang on a second. You did not come up with the thought. Tell me a bit more about that. And I think if you start teaching younger people this, they will realize the differentiation and be able to be the one that chooses instead of being someone that just goes along with every thought because they believe they have to. So when you say you didn't think of the thought, what do you mean by that? So a thought arises. Let's give a thought of, I don't know, give me an example. I didn't do well in my exam today. Right, that's not a truth, right? It's yeah. a thought that's come up. Now, what's your option? 
your option is either to be like, oh my God, I didn't do well in my exam today. I'm a failure. I should have worked harder. I should yeah. have taken more Red Bull and Pro Plus and stayed up through the night and revised, but I didn't. I went to a pub instead and now I failed my exam and now I'm going to get a bad grade, which means I'm not going to get a good job. And if I don't get a good job, then I'm not going to have a good future. Then if I don't have a good future, then I'm not going to have a family and I'm going to yeah. be da, 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 da. Suddenly the thought of I may or may not have done well on my exam has spiraled into an entire story you've okay. now made around your life. Mm -hmm. The second option is I may not have done well on my exam to literally nod your head and say, cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Because it's not a truth. At that point, until the grades come back, you don't know if you've done well. You don't know. Mm -hmm. But something we spoke about, and I think this is really relevant, especially to me, is the more self-work you do, the more conscious you are and the more you can start to overthink. So I know, especially for me, since I've been podcasting, I started to feel even more conscious of the way that I'm coming across or my thoughts or the things that I'm doing and it sometimes feels that, isn't it better to just not know? Yeah, so something happened and a thought came into my head. And I was like, oh, I've been doing all this self-work, I shouldn't have had that thought. Mm -hmm. Why am I thinking that? And then I was like, hang on a second, I'm not thinking that. The fact that I just saw it means that I'm aware of it. And now I have a choice. Do I want to give into it or do I not want to give into it? So I think a lot of the time, and this is something that I think what you're saying is, we do all this self-work going in with the expectation that if we do all of this work, we become enlightened. And enlightened means no more negative thinking. Enlightened means no more negative thoughts. It means no more badness, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah, right? Now, suddenly, we've gone and created in our head what enlightenment should look like, what this enlightened Shivani should look like, should sound like, should feel, <laughs> should be. And when you aren't that, you feel like you failed. Yeah. But the only person who's created that person you think you need to be in that bar is you so true right mm -hmm. the thing that i've come to realize is the thoughts ain't gonna stop but when you get to that point okay think of it like this the thought i failed my exam is gonna keep happening mm -hmm. but what comes in is that awareness I failed my exam. Oh my gosh, I failed my exam. I'm a failure. My parents are going to kill me. I'm not going to get a good life. I'm not going to get a good job, blah, 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 blah. Suddenly, you've just gone along with the thought. Mm -hmm. Or you can do all the work that you've done and the thought comes in. I didn't do well on my exam. It's the same thought. You've same just thing. seen it, but now you have a choice. Huh. Okay. I love that. Oh, actually, I, I think I did. I, actually, you know what? I think I did fine. Mm -hmm. Or, you know what? Maybe I didn't do well, but maybe I did. We'll wait till the results come in six weeks, you know? All, yeah. All this does, this self-work, and this is the big thing that helped me, which might help you and all your listeners, is I just feel like it teaches you you have a choice. You, you, no one's stopping you. You go and do what you want. Like, you know, you, you still have a choice. But you can't have something to, this is the big thing, you can't have a choice 
if there's not an alternative to choose from. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? If the hot water doesn't work in your shower, you don't have a choice, right? Mm -hmm. The water is going to be cold. But if the hot and the cold work, well, you have a choice. Okay, what temperature do I want? Do I want it hotter? Do I want it colder? What do I want to do? So I think a lot of this work is all about showing us that we have a choice. We are not the mind. We've believed that we are our mind. So every thought that happens is me. I had that thought. The thought occurred, therefore, I had that thought. That means it must be true. Well, all this work is showing, well, here's the mind and here's me. Thoughts are still happening. Yeah. But now I have a choice. Do I want to give in to the thought or just want to let you go? So I feel like you've acquired such mental strength to be able to think like that and also to be able to choose the thoughts that you have. And, you know, you did a video on people's opinions and that was also one of my favorite ones. I'm not just saying that for all of them. Um, but that one I really loved because the way you were speaking is you were just so confident and so clear and saying that, okay, these are my, these are my views and I'm so confident and happy in them. And I respect other people's views, but I'm not going to take them on board. Now, you've had a lot of bad press around your family and you and you talk about in your videos getting a lot of hate um that can really affect people's mental health and i think something especially in today's culture and society like you said people will spread a lot of hate you know you can just get on a keyboard you don't have to put a username there's no need for you to register who you are some people just spread hate on people's comments and photos and they don't realize that there's somebody behind that screen so how do you manage to keep your mental health on track when getting a barrage of these comments or negative, you know, hates? Against so first thing I should say, and, you know, be very open with everyone watching this and with you is, you know, I'm not some sort of guru here or anything yeah. like that. And everything I'm talking to you about, I've discovered. Mm -hmm. And it's very but the work comes when putting it into practice, which still for me is a daily struggle and it's a daily practice. Mm -hmm. Why do we use the word practice? Because practice, even the best athletes in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo, who might be the greatest football player of all time, people will debate that comment. My point being is that he still goes to practice. Yeah. Roger Federer, when he's not playing matches, is practicing. So no matter how good you are, no matter where you are in your game, it's all a practice. Why do they say, I, in my mind, meditation is a practice? Because you keep doing it to practice, 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 practice. So that's all of this stuff is about putting it into practice. But I think you need to figure it out first and then be able to, to, to do it. Um, coming to the second point about how do I stay mentally tough in all of this, I think, it, you know, it's a few things. It, it, it does take its toll on you. Now, I'm not bulletproof in any way. And of course it hurts when you see negative comments when people write things and it irritates you and it annoys you because it's like, on one level, would you go and speak to someone like that to their face? Answer is no. Mm -hmm. Second level, it's just like, oh, have we gone and unleashed this side of anger in people and given them more chances to be angry? Like, some of the stuff is dreadful when you read it. Like, it's like, how can someone even, someone has had to sit there and type, I wish you die. And it's like having to think of that, like it, it, that you kind of lose faith in humanity, right? Then of course you get such lovely messages as well that you realize that, you know, it is 
But it, it, it comes to that point, as you said, it's those keyboard warriors that really, more than anything, really wind me up because it's like you forget there's a real person behind this picture. Yeah. But I think with anything in life, no matter what you're going through, um, and I'll tell you a quick anecdote here. When I first started acting like eight years ago, this guy got up on stage and did a monologue, talked about his life grew up in East LA, saw his uncle get shot when he was three years old, parents in and out of jail, he was sexually abused when he was young, drugs, this, that, this, that, right? Next, it's my turn to go up on stage and talk about my life. And I said to the acting coach, I said, you must be out of your mind. How can I, you know, this guy has been through so much. And he said, he said Sid, don't ever forget one thing. Pain is pain. Your yeah. pain isn't any more, less, nor greater than the next person. If your biggest loss was seeing both your parents killed in a car crash in front of you, but my biggest loss was my goldfish dying when I was three years old, mm -hmm. it's, even though it doesn't look the same, and people might laugh and be like, how can you compare the two together? Mm -hmm. To the person who's experienced the pain, it's exactly the same. So from that point of view, when you look at like what I'm going through, or what anyone's going through, I think you can apply the same analogy to anything, no matter how big nor small, because there is nothing big or small, mm -hmm. which is any situation is only as good or bad as the lens you view it through. Mm -hmm. Now, people might think, I would hope the people who are watching this, who I assume the people who watch this watch you know, they're people who come in with an open mind anyway. Yeah. So this will resonate with them. But a lot of people at this point would switch off and be like, this guy is an idiot. He's talking rubbish. How can you compare big things and small things? And I get it why people think like that. But everything is through a lens with sure. which you view it. Take my situation with my family, my dad. On paper, it's a terrible situation. And it's stressful. And it's hard. And all of these things. But I could turn it around and say, actually, you know what? It's good. It's a test. It gives me an opportunity to grow. Actually, you know what? My dad not being allowed to leave the UK at his age is quite good mm -hmm. because it gives him an opportunity to sit still in one place, which might be good for his health. Yeah. I've taken the exact same situation and just viewed it through a lens, which is going to serve me. And that's how I view all things in life is how can I look at this? to serve me in one way or another. I think there's two things you've mentioned there. So I think the first thing you said about pain is pain, I think you have to, you're showing like deep empathy and compassion, which I think a lot of people don't show. So, you know, going back to what I mentioned earlier, I think the reason why some people don't understand mental health, especially in the Indian community is why would you need to see a therapist? I've been through this much more than you. Why are you feeling upset? You haven't been through X amount as much as me. And that's something that I hate because like you said, pain is pain. So whatever that individual person feels is the most important thing for them. You know, we don't, when people say, you know, your problem is greater than mine, that problem is that person's problem. And so you cannot dispute or discount how that person's feeling because for them, that's the most important thing in their life at that time. So that's the first thing I think it's so important to look at it the way you're looking at it as really compassionate, really empathetic, 
really understanding that that person is going through that pain and removing that barrier of comparing it to what you're going through or whoever's going through it. So that's my first point. The second thing you say about when you say turning everything on its head and always finding the silver lining and everything, I guess, and seeing everything to be positive. Uh, that takes, I think that's a journey. I think it's very, I'm like that. So I'm very much like, oh, you should look at everything in a positive way. And whenever something happens, I try to find the good in it. But when there's certain things that really impact your mental health on a daily basis, you know, toxic people, um, negative comments, abuse, you name it, whatever these things are, how do you start to take that initiative when you're in such a bad place to say, okay, this is what I need to do and this is how I need to change my life? Because for a lot of people, it's just about starting and that's the biggest barrier. So you're saying how, I mean, I guess the question is what, how do you take that first step? Hmm. It, it has to come from within. Mm -hmm. I um, I say this all the time. It's like it's like people ask me, "How did I stop drinking?" Oh, yeah. what did you do? Said, "Why did you stop drinking? Why did you do it?" And I keep telling them, "It has to come from within. You have to be at that place where you're like, I'm ready to make the change, right? I want to go on this journey." That's what I'd have to say is, is that, you know, and I say this in the drinking video and consider this, which you would have seen, which is you need to look in the mirror or whatever, and look at yourself and say, do I want to do this? Mm -hmm. And then the answer is yes, you have to commit and do it. Like these sorts of things, no one can push you to do. You have to, it has to just come from within. Yeah. And then secondly, there's so many things you can do. There's not, that's not, first of all, let me actually, this is a very big point and I should have led with this, like, Mental health doesn't, a lot of people, if I, literally, we can go into a survey around the streets of London and tell people what comes to your mind when you say mental health, and they will tell you anxiety and depression. Yes. Yes, anxiety and depression are two very big yes. parts of mental health, but the optimal word being parts. Loneliness, eating disorders, OCD, obsession, comfort, obsessive compulsive disorder which I suffer from all all big parts of mental health mm -hmm. so just because you're not feeling depressed doesn't mean you're not suffering with something so true so I think that's the next point comes to allow yourself give yourself I, you know how you talk about how a lot of families won't understand well what are you going through you wouldn't believe how many people do that to themselves. Yeah. They don't allow themselves permission. Oh, well, hang on a second. I've got a roof over my head. I've got food on the table. I live in a nice house. Yeah. I'm not suffering. Well, what have I got to be? What have I got to be upset about? Well, I've got a good job. I've got a good wife. I've got nice kids. Yeah, I'm not allowed to feel. People... Yeah who are on the street, people who come from nothing, they're allowed to feel mental health, but I'm not. Yeah. Which is the next point is, and I'm trying not to swear now because I get very passionate about this. This stuff does not discriminate. Yeah. If you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're black, if you're white, if you're Asian, if you're Muslim, if you're Hindu, if you're, I don't know, whatever, 
nobody is immune from suffering from mental health. And that's what everyone needs to start accepting. So So give yourself permission. You have every right, just as the next person, to feel and to go and seek help if you want. And seeking help doesn't mean you have to go straight to a therapist. You don't have to go straight to taking antidepressants. Yeah. I think a lot of people get put off it as well because they're like, I have to go to a therapist. You don't. You don't. Go to your GP. Your GP will give you advice. You don't even have to do that. There's so many resources online with most things I will say, as we all know, when you do search online, be a bit diligent about what sources you're listening to. Yeah, definitely. But there's a lot of stuff you can do. Um, So what are some of the other things you do to boost your mental health? Um, Sorry, just to finish that point, but there's a number of different workbooks and stuff you can do as well. No, I'm, I'm trying to find the book on my shelf behind, but then I realized I think I've got it on my iPad. Um, but there's, there's so many things you can do. I mean, I know you have one that you sent me last week, which was just simply that journaling book. Yeah. You didn't need to go Daily and get that. Book. Journal. You, didn't, you didn't need a therapist to prescribe you that. You went on yeah. Amazon and bought it, right? So there's so many things people can do themselves. Buy workbooks, look into it. Now I'll come to what I do, which other people can do. Meditate. Mm -hmm. Meditation is one of those things that, again, I think people seem as like, oh, some hippie sort of stuff going on. And again, it's because it's got given this, this, I say bad rap, just because the way it's been portrayed. Anyone can meditate. Yeah. Anyone can meditate. And like with going to the gym i would say try out a few different meditation styles first to find out what works for you everyone's different there's no one size fits all approach to this right try different meditations figure out the one you like some people like an app some people don't like an app i've tried an app i've tried an app called headspace i've tried different apps i didn't like the guy's voice on the app headspace nothing wrong with the app therefore I'm just saying from a personal preference, I wasn't connecting with it. I found transcendental meditation. That works for me. Another thing that I do is running. Running for me is not just about fitness. It's meditative. This morning I went for an 11K run. Why? Because I put my music on, I go running, I'm in my own world, and I come back feeling better. So for me, running is a form of of mental exercise. Mm -hmm. Playing with my dog, as simple as taking him for a walk playing with him, cuddling him, getting licked by him is big for the mental health. Mm -hmm. If you're a parent, play with your child. That can bring you joy. My point is here that there are so many things one can do to look after their mental well-being Mm -hmm. that going to a therapist is not the be-all and end-all of it. And it's not everything you have to do. There are other things you can do and take your own time with it. Maybe you're not ready to go to a therapist today. Yeah. Then don't do it, right? Do a workbook instead. Okay, the workbook helped. Guess what? You don't need to go to a therapist. Or the workbook didn't help and I would like to go to a therapist. Or the workbook helps and I'd like to have a therapist that guides me through it. Like, I just, it, it's, 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 so it's many funny. Options. I'm, yeah, and I'm writing this in my book, which is the main things to, 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 to remember. I'm, I'm just getting my phone out so I can get this up mental health comes in a lot of different ways. So I've written here, mental health comes in a number of different forms, not just depression. And no issue is too big or too small. 
point two, mental health doesn't discriminate and no one is immune to it. It can affect everyone at all stages in life, regardless of wealth, upbringing and success. Option three, it's okay to suffer from mental health issues and it's okay to go and seek help. And number four, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's what I'd love. Like if that anyone takes anything away from this, that, that you, that, that you can feel you can do things about it and um, there's unlimited amounts of resources. I love that. I've had such a great time talking to you today and I always feel like I learn so much every time I speak to you. (laughs) But before we go, the one thing I want to ask you is what do you think we can do to start to change the Indian expectation around mental health? You know, I think it's, it's, it's not just an Indian thing. I think it's the same sort of thing that comes in society in general Mm -hmm. i think it's just about continuing the conversation i think it's about people like you doing things like this Mm -hmm. it's about people being open about it and people sharing and the more people as i said i said earlier you don't have to share but the more people who do share the more people who are open about it well, then the more people are going to see, oh, well, hang on, if they can talk about it, then I can talk about it. Well, if I can talk about it, then he can talk about it. And then suddenly now everyone's talking about it. Those people who thought it was once taboo or stigmatized can be like, oh, well, everyone's talking about it. It's not that bad. Yeah. I think that's all we can do is just literally, we have to just like with anything, with any movement, you've got to keep the conversation going. For sure. I think that was so powerful and I learned so much from you today. And for anybody listening, please check out Sid's Consider This series. You're now writing a book about it, right? Uh, yeah, I am. I am in so the book will be coming out soon? <laughs> um, soonish, probably mid next year. Okay, awesome. And if you haven't seen any of his content, check it out. We've quoted bits and bobs from it today, but there's, you've got so much in there that I think people will definitely learn from. So yeah, thank you so I, much for coming and I've had such a good time talking to you. No, and thank you very much for having me here. Um, it's been a pleasure. And um, it really though, let me just say also like congrats and it's really inspiring the work that you're doing as well to continue this conversation because I know for you, it's not easy mm-hmm. when you have people who might not understand, but to still power through and to still get the message out there. And it really is inspiring. So congrats. Thank you.